Hello, you're listening to a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters for week ending Friday, the 22nd of April, 2022. We broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every weekday morning from 6 till 9am. Coming up in this week's podcast, you'll hear us chat with former Breakfaster Marie Hardy about the latest instalment of her event, Better Off Said, that's happening on the 1st of May. Rosa and Nicola Dempsey, better known as Flo and Joan, the UK musical comedy duo, joined us to talk about their show, Sweet Release. And we also talked about the etiquette of opening presents and how you can somehow get it so wrong. Maria Tamarkin joined us to chat about an upcoming event when women speak of war. And are you friends with your siblings or is that just a bit weird? We spoke to Bronwyn Cuss about her comedy festival show, Any Goss. We went into the pitfalls of stopping to say hello, plus Renee Maxwell, owner of Record Paradise in Brunswick, joined us ahead of Record Store Day. But we kick off the week sharing what struck us snack-wise on our Easter break. Melbourne's own Triple R. You know, I normally order, whenever I go to a bakery, uh, a pepper. I do love a pepper steak pie, but I didn't order that this time. <gasps> what would you normally order? I, I, you like pepper steak? Yeah, or a yeah. sausage roll. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I, a, mush, one of the, the steak and mushroom pie. Oh, yeah, a that's a good one too. How about you? I made the grand claim. I asked someone, I asked Jessie what her favourite pastry was, and then mm. she asked the same question back to me, and I was like, <laughs> uh, uh, I panicked. <laughs> I was like, uh, escargot, like a pan oh, of yeah, 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 great. And what is that, sorry? The little the spiral pa- pastry. It's not really something you see as much in a country bakery, you know, with the little sultanas in it. It's, mm. like, a, oh, it's like a circle yeah, croissant. Yeah, but it's, right. uh, it's, ordin- it's usually poor, but when yes. it's done well, it's... Out of this world. Yeah, right. Anyway, now to like back up my own opinion, whenever I see one, I've got to get it. So now <laughs> that's my answer. <laughs> oh, reluctantly, that's your answer. You know, I, I got a pasty yesterday. Ah, oh, interesting. I, I went to, and it was magnificent. Okay. Oh, mm. it was so good. Mm. What did Abby get? Just cold ate. rolls. No, she went to the Vietnamese store that was right next door. Yeah. There was a and she got cold roll, cold rolls because that's where the rice oh, paper rice rolls. Paper rolls. Yeah. 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 Oh, sorry. I was, I was on a. Uh, Main drag in a, you know, gentrified area. You, it was not at a regular fish and chip shop. Anyway, tradies came in and asked for Chico rolls. I don't even think the person serving even knew what they were. Yes. <laughs> Did you want some salmon and brown rice? <laughs> oh, yeah. They're like, oh, what's a fish and chip shop without Chico rolls? I'm like, 2022 yeah. in Melbourne. You reckon they just go around to fish and chip shops asking for well, Chico maybe, rolls? Well, maybe, but I, I'm, I'm I haven't surprised. had pasty in a while. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I don't know. I just wanted something different and I'm glad. I did because it was mag. Like I said, it was magnificent. It was really good. So I was mm. very happy. With I that. do love an apple cake. Like if we're talking sweets, from a, you know the you know with the white icing. Oh yeah, the yeah. ones that, is, that it could sit there for months. Yeah, I reckon, yeah. and still taste the same. It's so good. Um, <laughs> speaking of snacks, oh, I was in. So I went to Hobart. I was in Mona. And oh, yes. uh, the, you know the wall of vaginas, and I think it might mm. be an abbreviated wall now. Oh, they've like, got I think I've been there previously, and the oh, ball was right. bigger, and there was a, the the variety a short was diminished. List now, <laughs> is Judith Lucy still there? Well, that's the thing. So I'm standing at the wall, and I remember Judith's up there, and I and you recognise. Like, I make it. a noise, right? I haven't approached it. My eyesight's not that good. I make a noise. Something emits, like a laugh. I, I thought. Jess is like, you can't make those noises with the <laughs> vagina wall. And I was like, how dare you police how I consume art? <laughs> and then, and then they're, they're all the uh, uh, vagina. At the, in the gift shop, you get vagina chocolate. Oh. Mm. Did you make a noise? No, I was still making noise on the road trip home. Uh, 
but yeah, I did notice that the the vagina chocolates because uh, was Jessie was opening all of them. She can do that, of course, uh, in the gift shop. Look at all to see if they're the right dimensions for oh. what she wants to dip in her teeth. <laughs> And, uh, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't recognise Judas there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was going to ask you just quick: How was the airport on Thursday? Everyone was going on about how the, how crazy the airport was going to be. Was it as crazy as they thought? It was or not? fine. How, how early was, did you get there? I got there like an hour and a half early. Oh, the the, the weird thing is that there were more lines for the food than the. I saw a video oh. of a line for Maccas. Right, it was longer than anything else at the airport. Really? Go somewhere else. Well, yes, but people have their heart set on it. Yeah. It's probably the cheapest thing at the airport. And some people as well, it's like they know they might never get it, but it's like I know that my mother-in-law, whenever they travel, she'll, she'll go to Hungry Jack's and get onion rings and, like, I think has it in her head. Like, I'm yeah. on holiday, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. So maybe there are those people. Can you believe it? I did the exact same thing. Did you? Not did that you? exact thing, but it was like, uh, yeah, airport kilograms don't count. Like, yes, totally. Holiday kilograms yeah, don't yeah, count. Yeah, yeah. yeah, holiday calories. Yeah. But, like, to... to and then it's like ripping the Band-Aid off straight away. Like you're in the airport being a disgrace. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Making noises <laughs> in front of the menu. Shut up. Triple R. Marie Cardi is a writer of television series and books, former co-director of Women and Letters and artistic director of Melbourne Writers Festival and co-founder of talk series Better Off Set, the much-anticipated latest instalment of which takes place at Brunswick Ball in May 1. And to uh, tell us about the event, the former breakfaster turned national treasure joins us now. Marie, welcome back to the show. That's the most amazing CV. Are you saying that because I just complimented you? No, no, there? it's You're true. Like, it's you should true. have heard I it. Like now. Well, it's, it's Better Off Set, isn't it? It is. Mm. Well, it is. You absolutely got it. Dan, you got to say these things now mm. before it's too late. That's late, right. Late, late, late. Do you know what? I was so excited coming in here and not just because I had coffee at home, but because I was here like talking about the show a million moons ago mm. and I have to say I'm sure you're getting lots of people on talking about their comedy festival mm. shows and their theatre shows and after these two years I just can't take it for granted. I'm still like how lucky mm. we are to be talking about going to the theatre or going to live events and stuff again. It's still blows my freaking mind. Yeah. I went to see Portrait of Dorian Gray <gasps> in Sydney and it is definitely go it is as mind-blowing as mm. you'd imagine. But just even sitting in this crowded theater mm. and looking around at everyone and I get very emotional because I'm quite an earnest person as you know quite well Dan. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, you know, hand on chest like Look at where we are, everyone. Yeah. We're in a freaking oh, theatre. This is amazing. And for us too, I think, on here, like getting getting people in talking about it is oh. such a thrill, just being able to have that face-to-face interaction again. Yeah, and I just never want to get complacent about it. Mm. You know, with Better I've Said, so we started this event, uh, Emily Zoe Baker, my co-curator, and I, November 2019, the world of optimism, where we <laughs> said let's start a monthly live event, and we did three shows. And then in July last year, we're like, we're back, baby. We're back. Let's <laughs> oh. do six shows and see how we go. And we did one show. And so we've. this is now got a, the May 1st show, which is our upcoming show. It's a Sunday at the Brunswick Ballroom. It's our third show in a row. Mm. And we're starting to get our muscle memory back. Like mm. when HOSPO came back and we're all like, how do you use that knife and fork? <laughs> and um, all the waiters are crashing into things and we're all like, we've all got our best intentions in a restaurant going, we want this to work. Yeah. We're all here. <laughs> and so when we did our first show back in March, I thought I forgot how to front of house. 
you know, mm. like I was just going to stamp people in the face and like <laughs> eat their ticket and I was like, I really need to learn. Like sure, I've got pants on, that's a good start. But now we're sort of getting into the rhythm of it. But even still three shows in, I still am so grateful mm. that we're back here, that we're in a space sharing stories in a live space. Mm. It's really beautiful mm. and I think as we keep unfurling after the last two years, always having those reset moments where you think this did not happen for two years, yeah. not just being in a restaurant with someone you love, but like live art, as we all know, has been decimated and decimated by the federal government budget. Like it is something that needs audience support, mm. but also the luck and beauty of performers getting to go on stages. Mm. I mean, I'm a screenwriter. I worked for two years and I had that real survivor guilt about it. Mm. I'm at home in my undies. I've done that for 20 years, yeah. you know, like tippy-tappy, tippy-tappy. <laughs> yeah. And all the money from TV production went into development those two years. So I had a really busy two years mm. and I did feel that sense of like, but all my beautiful, like my comedian friends, my actor friends who were just atrophying like they're just stuck there and trying to put back into arts and donate and support mm. people and stuff so this moment now where we get to be spat on in the front mm. row I yeah. mean that's a COVID <laughs> risk but still you know it's it's still exciting mm. oh do you know what so I I recently had COVID I'm fine mm-hmm. um <laughs> and this I'm not contagious I would never do that I'm a real rule abider love a rule and um do you know where I think I got it where in the mosh pit at the meanies wow. I, I regret Nothing, nothing. <laughs> COVID soup that mosh pit was. And then my friend's got a video of me and I'm a pocket-sized little dude. I'm bouncing around with these big guys with looking like a giddy child at Disneyland. I'm like, oh my, which is not a punk face. Yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah. have like a cool punk meanies face. I'm like, I'm in a meanies mosh pit. And it, you know when your body's like, you're catching COVID mm. right now. Yeah. And when you get it, it's like when you got food poisoning, you're like, I know it was the chicken. Yeah. I was like, meanies mosh pit. But still, but who cares? I mean, it's I reckon I gave everyone COVID at an even show. Oh, really? Mm. Oh, were you licking them all? No, like, no. I was just, you I, clearly I, never I, been to a gig with Daniel. But then I saw uh, someone in the uh, some, there was someone in the audience who I th- saw three weeks or maybe a month later got COVID, and I was like, wasn't me. Mm. But I did think I instigated a super spreader <laughs> event, and it's the first time I've said it out loud, and oh, I regret it. That's safe space. Better off. But it was a yeah, it was a rolling. Do you think there's probably lots of us who carry that guilt, especially with the December January big whoosh? Yeah. And this mo- most recent big whoosh was the one that got me. Got all the smug people who went, I just must be immune forever. Yeah. Boom, we all went down. Mm. Take that. But you do carry that as you backtrack. And you think about all the people you've hugged and all the people and you try and contact everyone. Yeah. But I'm sure there's so many of us that carry that. Like there's someone at the meanies going, shouldn't have gone to that gig. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't have gone to that gig. Yeah, exactly. But again, yeah. I was in a mosh pit. There was and some giddy, in another one. I woman and I couldn't stand it. Stop me. Um, what's it been like uh, to be, you know, fairly judged by authorities as non-essential and realising that what – when – performers go on stage and when we curate events it's not just a lark it's not just like filling in the time it's like the meaning of life oh yeah well no pressure but yes it is and I mean better off said as an event that's created as a storytelling event it's similar to women of letters that we ask people 
Four readers get on and they're given the brief, the words I wish I'd said. And people, you know, we don't intend it, but people really unzip their chests on those stages. And it's a really sacred space. You're in that room. It's a real human connection and sharing stories. And then we ask one person to deliver a living eulogy and to eulogise someone or something that's still with us. Because I love that idea of eulogising people while they're still here mm. and, you know, hearing mm. all the things, hearing that people think you're really awesome. But that living eulogy in the, in the few shows that we've got, People have really taken it to different levels. We had um, Lou Bennett eulogise the Jabberung birthing tree, which was amazing. Jan Fran, I think, prematurely eulogised Scott Morrison's career. (laughs) Uh, And uh, Kate uh, Kate Kennedy did our show in July last year and she eulogised singing in a group, which was very much in a kind of mid-lockdown thing and that beautiful, joyous community feeling when you sing en masse and that's something that we couldn't do. So we really, I think that brief gets taken in all kinds of directions. And so those human stories, which again was the intention of Women of Letters, was to sit in a room and sometimes you're like, that's a mega famous person. Like that's, you know, Paul McDermott or Tim Rogers or whoever it is. Mm. And they say something like they talk about their father dying or something and you go, wow, we're all having this shared human lived experience and all this kind of grief and pain and beauty and joy is a shared feeling. Mm. And that is the intention of our show. Mm. Emily and I obviously ain't, ain't getting rich off this show. It is the intention of making something that, that creates a human connection. Yeah. So we felt really privileged. It feels like a privilege to be in the room to me every time someone really shares a story. We have a real duty of care towards our readers who often talk about quite emotional things but we hope it's a place of catharsis and that whole better off said sometimes you feel like I'm so glad I let that go (laughs) I'm so glad I had the space to say that Mm. and someone comes up afterwards and says that happened to me as well and it's really beautiful but we really we don't do it to go we want a famous person to cry on stage Mm -hmm. you know we want to make sure afterwards we really look after the readers we look after the audience we make sure we're available to people especially if something traumatic comes up so we're really conscious of going it's not an event where we make ourselves look shiny by yeah. having people tell these kind of quite intense stories. So it feels really beautiful to be in that room. And so the sun, the May, the May the first one, it's coming out. The people who are doing the words I wish I said are Denise Scott, <laughs> speaking of national treasures. Yeah. Um, Professor Alan Duffy, do you know him? He's an astronomer and he's so oh, freaking yeah. handsome, which is not the take home. <laughs> yeah. But if you have pictures of him, he's got his head in front of a moon and both things are very beautiful. <laughs> and he's this amazing, he's like, you're like, See, science is hot, yeah. which is not something See, that I normally see. Wear the bow tie? Yes, sometimes yeah. he wears yeah, a bow tie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And in a really hot way. Yeah. Um, Alice Pung, the writer, and Georgia Mack from Camp Cope mm-hmm. are the four people doing the words I wish I'd said. Tony Birch is our living eulogist, which I don't know what Tony's going to do, but it will be amazing. And then at the end, we have like a really really short musical performance like 15 minutes and that's often a really nice way to hold the room especially if some some shit has come up Mm -hmm. you know so Mm -hmm. we had like Mama Alto was sung previously and Maple Glider I feel like genuflecting because I love Maple Glider Mm -hmm. so much Uh, and Stav who's a beautiful singer will be singing on May 1st so every month is a completely brand new lineup which and the June one is going to be a banger as well I can't believe I'm even going June already yeah I'm planning (gasps) the next month because you can yeah exactly do you give them do you give the speakers many guidelines or boundaries yeah and after curating women of letters for seven years you do learn how to be precise but broad in the brief Mm. because we had early days of women of letters we had someone come you know a couple of people go i'm just going to read a chapter of my book and if they've come right after someone talking about you know a hospital visit or something you can see the look on their face on stage going 
oh, shit, I've really misread this. So we do try and be quite specific in the brief going, you know, here are some examples of what it could be. But it is always better to be honest, even if you're being funny, honest. Mm. Luke McGregor did a show a couple of months ago and was talking about he was sort of saying, these are the words I'd say to my, I wish I'd said to my dad. He's still alive. <laughs> but um, I kind of, these are the things that we never talk about. Yeah. And it was sort of funny but poignant Ernest. and sweet yeah. at the same time, which is classic Luke as well. Mm. So, yeah, we do give a brief. You don't want to be prescriptive, but you also don't want someone to come and really misread it. Yeah. And you can really tell when everyone else is being amazingly honest and one person, you can see the white knuckling going, chit, 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 chit. <laughs> I have misread I'm this. I'm firing my agent. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, shows stay with the audience, don't they? I mean, Mon was even talking about, well, am I allowed to bring that up? I don't know what you're about to bring uh, up. No, no, no. Yes. Like, <laughs> just say yes. Just the say events yes. that you. No, I used to go to Women of Letters every uh, every month. Oh, yeah. Yay. So there, yeah. I probably hugged you at the door. <laughs> COVID, super spreader. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, back yeah. in the day, imagine. Uh, but it's it makes me think that the. I'd imagine that humour and comedy kind of, you have to strip away comedy as a defence and just find the humour in actual truth. Well, I mean, yes and no. Um, like, I curate really specifically so that we don't have five people all talking about really heavy shit. Yeah. And I've got to say that last month um, you curate as best you can and it was, it was he- I mean, it was amazing, mm. but it was a heavy one. And mm-hmm. it was beautiful to have Mama Alto at the end kind of coming and singing. And it was a really ch- joyous release. But, you know, you, you put Scotty on a bill and you go, Scotty's going to be hilarious. <laughs> then Scotty gets up and goes, finally, the chance to talk about the time I killed a man. And you're like, oh, okay. So I kind of have that in mind when I curate, yeah. you know, you yeah. get a musician who you think might be a good talker. You get maybe someone political. You make sure there's lots of different perspectives on the stage. Mm. But you just, you can't quite, you can't pick the temperature of what they're going to write about. Yeah. So last month was a really unusual one where everyone went heavy. Mm-hmm. And we just, we knew it in advance. So we could look after the room and look after the readers. But, yeah, you, you hope that there's some light and shade in every show mm. and then you just deal with it if there's not. Do you have any uh, public speaking tips? Like, a you know, mm. I see people <laughs> hold paper and they, they shake the paper and you're distracted by that. I, I don't know, like even the kerning or, or the, the line spacing. Do you, Dan, do you know how much I hate public speaking? Like I am terrified. So why you put everyone through it in these events? Yeah, Yeah, because, you know, it's all about catharsis. And I realise, like, I love talking about death and saying we're all going to die and this is a beautiful, finite experience. So, like, really suck the marrow just to say something tried about it. And I realise that so many of my creative projects are death-related. Like, even better, I've said with the living eulogy. And I feel like I want to keep putting myself up first to that so I keep reminding myself so the public speaking thing I'm sure I'm working through (laughs) radio fine not nervous Mm. when I used to do the book show that was fine but I have to pitch tv projects sometimes and it is like a living nightmare I take beta blockers yeah I take them 90 minutes before with food because I'm a blusher and a shaker and when you're in front of people especially in like a fluoro room like Mm. a fluoro lit room there's nowhere to hide I've tried like Xanax. I've tried like saying to myself, I'm like, you love public speaking. You can't wait to get up there and read that poem at Barry Jones' 80th birthday. That did not not work, by the way. That didn't work. I was there. Was that at 45 downstairs? Yeah. I was in between someone stupid like Kate Kennedy and Tim Winton or something. And they're like, because everyone thinks that I like public speaking or I'm good at it. But it is like a mortal fear. I really hate it. So, again, I'm really conscious of asking people to do it. Yeah. And respecting 
when they say no. There's a very high profile ABC presenter who I would have thought who's very funny and very public and and I remember writing to them and asking them and they gave me a very frank, the same response I would give, which is like, I know I look like I revel in this mm, space. Right. I cannot do it. And they said, and I worry that I would be really jocular to try and cover my fear and that's not the energy I want to bring to that space. And mm-hmm. I was like, full respect, wow. yeah. like public about your fears. So beta blockers is my yeah, right. go-to. That's what I would I'll take. I'll have to hit you up. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I will, I'm like shelving that shit. Like, <laughs> I will hit up. They're non-addictive, so it's absolutely fine. But they have saved my life yeah, in terms right. of public speaking. So now every now and then when I'm forced to, like when I had to – Open Melbourne Writers Festival, and you know you have to do a speech with the AD. Yeah, beta blockers. Okay, so if you meet Marie in a badly lit boardroom, she's high. God, that sounds really <laughs> creepy. God, what, are your, what are your intentions, sir? I'm trying Hush, to green light your just show. Just buy my show, please. Yeah. Turn the lights up. Come so, on. so better off said. Eulogies for living in the dead. It's on at Brunswick Ballroom, Sunday, first of May. Head to betteroffsaid.com.au. Mosh Ticks as well and Brunswick Borum, our beautiful friends at Brunswick Borum who were so supportive of the arts community as they were going through a crisis themselves, cancelling, rescheduling, all that. They were offering free meals to artists during lockdown for local artists to come and get like a curry. They're mm. amazing. So all the support anyone can show them, they're wonderful. So it's 5.30 to 7.30 on Sunday, May 1st. And then first Sunday of every month, onwards! Congratulations. <laughs> Uh, well, let's do it again. Thanks, Marie. Thank you. Independent Melbourne Radio 3 Triple R. Rosie and Nicola Dempsey are the multi-award-winning musical duo performing under the stage name Flo and Joan, who have featured on BBC's Live at the Apollo, released an Amazon Prime video special, a live on stage, based on the Edinburgh Fringe and Melbourne Comedy Festival show, and are taking the festival by storm presently with their latest tour, Sweet Release, on now at the famous Spiegel Tent at the Art Centre. And to tell us about it, the acerbic sister act joins us now. Rosie and Nicola, welcome to Breakfasters. Thank, Thank you for you. having us. Good morning. Good morning. It is a good morning. Yeah. It is. And um, you've, this isn't your first time in the country, so you'll be aware that we're famously sort of interested in our overseas visitors having a good time. Um, <laughs> and so have you been uh, – have you done all the right things? Are you being chaperoned properly? Are you going to uh, zoos and everything? Or going down it? laneways. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at street art. <laughs> we have, yeah. We have. It, we ca- When we came in 2019, we did a lot of the – um, the timeout lists of things to do. Ah, so it's yeah. been nice, like walking past like Flinders Lane and being like, oh, I remember when we went there. Yes. <laughs> Should we go back again? <laughs> Should we have a little focaccia? <laughs> uh, and then uh, we we did the zoo this year. We did the zoo. Uh-huh. We didn't get to do the zoo zoo last year. I think we had to do some. We missed out on a few things last year. The um, we got put on like sort of little things as we went. Which were, well, I think the zoo day we had to do a gig at lunchtime where you do like five minutes and they give it, people come in from their offices for lunch and they'll get a little sandwich bag and watch a comedy show. It was a fun thing they put on. Uh, so we did five minutes of performing to a crowd of people with sandwiches in their mouth while everyone else went to the zoo. Which is oh, very damn. conducive for laughing. We yeah. yeah. It's a really great gig to do. People are, their mouths are entirely full of food. Yeah. It's really great for the self esteem, those ones. Yeah. Especially knowing that everyone else that you come with is at the zoo yeah oh. yeah that was that was quite sad and we didn't we hadn't made friends by that point so we were thinking oh the zoo day will be the day that we meet that we meet all the people who are also here and that oh, didn't happen are you good, good at making friends or do you feel like together you're intimidating and unapproachable i'm terrible at making friends on my own in a group just in general full stop yeah um i think 
maybe because I don't think we are good at making friends. We're not. Really. I think I don't think that we're intimidating as a pair. I think people are like, I think they've got their own thing going on. Just <laughs> yeah, they, they'll swap <laughs> themselves. I think it's out. that vibe. It's very like the twins from The Shining. Leave them alone. <laughs> Instead of like, let's embrace them. It's. I think they're, I think we'll just leave them to it. Actually. Yeah, we're trying. We're quite socially awkward, really. Yeah. We're, we're trying. <laughs> uh, there's less people at the festival this year. Well, we've we've made sort of like friends as we go, but no one who you can ring every day and be like, we're going for brunch here, come and have brunch with us. Yeah. This now feels like not a plug for the show, but um, <laughs> like a, a an appeal to find us friends. Yeah, like a made <laughs> like up. the final week of the festival, if you want to be friends with Flo and Joe. With Barry, um, just come and say hello with a mask on. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll happily <laughs> give you all of our You know, um, uh, Neighbours is wrapping up. Yeah. We heard, yeah. yeah. You can go to Do this that entry. Can you? Yeah, can you can you? go out to Erinsborough. Go, yeah, go to Ramsey Street. How is this? Is it easy to do? Yeah, you get on a bus. Yeah, I'm not making this up. No, of course not making it up. It's always full of full of tourists from the UK. The biggest contingent. So Ian McKellen's done it. I really, really want to go. Why couldn't you have told us this at the very beginning? I know. (laughs) So you just get on a bus, you arrive. You don't have to get. It leaves near the the bus leaves near the Spiegel tent. Daniel's getting kickbacks. Are you the producer of the show who's like, let's make these last few months count? Let's make a big party. I'm the landlord of Lassiter's. Did you end up going to Luna Park? I know you were scared of the rides, the roller coasters there. We haven't been to Luna Park. Did you find somewhere else with roller coasters? We never found it. No, someone told us you have to go to the Gold Coast. And we thought about going on Monday mornings. We got day off on Monday, going Monday morning and coming back Tuesday. But it was just a little bit too much to book flights and sort all of Mm. that. I felt like the most expensive it would be the most expensive trip to a theme park ever where I was like I don't need to leave this festival having spent the only money I've made to go to like a theme park for one day and then like missing the flight and then another show or some (laughs) some shenanigan like that I was like "Mm, I think we could probably do something else I saw the show with a packed house Uh, everyone had such a good time and the show is tight as a drum Uh, is that why is that? Is that are you both perfectionists, or is it like I don't want to? Uh, how okay? I'll rephrase the question. How often during the performance do you sort of excite yourself, even, or have you curated it in such a way that you've war gamed absolutely everything that could happen? No excitement whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> we run it like a tight ship. Yeah, you um, might have seen. Sorry, I was gonna. Yeah, you might have seen the same thing. When did you see it? Oh, probably on a Tuesday night. Tuesday night. Was it early on in the fr- early on in the festival? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, wait, last week. week. Last week. Oh, no, that's all right. Yeah. Well, we 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 were. Th- <laughs> this is um, probably is a reveal all, but we were worried that we were losing the audience in certain points because we felt too relaxed or like we try and have. To, we've just got spots where we don't really have anything planned to say, <laughs> so we will just sort of make stuff up and then hope that it's got a button to laugh at. Mm-hmm. So you might have been seeing absolutely slick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was hilarious. <laughs> and it changes every night. Yeah. <laughs> or other times we'll like have so many of those insane shows where we lose people so quickly because we just have like a little conference meeting between ourselves, have a little giggle, and then the audience is like, "I feel like this isn't for me, <laughs> but I am here and I have paid." <laughs> And so we've had like a few shows where we're like, we've got to do a slick one tonight. Let's just see what a slick, a tight one feels like. No messing around. Let's just do the scripted stuff. Yeah, right. So you might have seen one of those ones. Yeah. But although we're probably, we're probably so uptight that the loose bits feel like an absolute clown show, but the audience is like, okay, well, that was 20 seconds of tight stuff. (laughs) The most intense looking I've ever seen. The the songs never change. Well, the the running order has changed. We had to take a few things out and put some different things in. Any um, reason? 
Uh, one of the songs we had, um, which is one of our big bankers in the UK, is a song about kids with rich parents. And I think our class system in the UK is much more... Um, disgusting. Disgusting, yeah. <laughs> we had a lot of references to the class system and we thought a lot of it would translate here. So we, we changed things like if you go skiing, you go sailing and having a second home in Sorrento. Mm-hmm. Oh, well and, done. And um, going to... It's a big thing to go to boarding school in the UK. That's like a real... You know your parents have got bank if you go to boarding school. Yeah. Um, and here everyone seems to go to private school. Like it's a normal thing for people to go to a private school, mm. which is not normal in, in the UK. Mm. Um, so we changed all the references, but it, they didn't they didn't translate into the hilarity that right. we... Because we're just too egalitarian. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. Just too yeah. Famously. Yeah. <laughs> Socialist Australia. Yeah. 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 Uh, Dolly Parton comes up in the show as a reference. How... Uh, how significant is Dolly Parton and do you kind of resent the resurgence and like fair weather supporters coming in on jumping on the Dolly bandwagon? Yeah, it's it's funny because that it always gets a chill whenever we say, oh, we, we, she's one of our role models. And ev- like without a doubt, she'll always get a cheer in the UK shows we've been doing, out here she's been doing. And like, there's definitely a bandwagon jump, especially since the Moderna vaccine mm. situation. I think that was her like plant her flag for all the new generation who had no idea who this yeah. woman was um yeah she's we've always like obviously we've always known her but also for us probably more so in the last 10 years we've mm. paid more attention mm, i got yeah. given the book of all her lyrics the, right. that big book <gasps> that came out and it was a it was a um it was a big lesson in how to constantly write like we don't we don't constantly write no really. if we put our lyrics into a book it'll be like a leaf has <laughs> <laughs> it's like this huge tome like a massive massive like heavy if you hit it someone with it you kill them and I was just like would you, would you like this leaflet about <laughs> Flo and Joan yeah. <laughs> how, do, how do you write like is it like okay it's Wednesday let's go to the office or <laughs> it's we have a show tonight and we've not done it <laughs> let's come up with something now and by the office we mean my bedroom <laughs> In one of our shared houses, we just commandeer a room and yeah. tell everyone we apologise profusely. <laughs> so we're going to be screaming at each other for the next four hours, but we have a show this evening, so we'll be out. Yeah, but yeah, we sort of well, yeah, we we know usually the Edinburgh Fringe is your marker for every year. So we've tried until the pandemic. We wrote a song, I uh, wrote a show every year. So you know you've got to get an hour. So usually we'll write about an hour forty-five or. Yeah, lots of songs will be absolutely terrible absolutely no surprise to you um and then uh yeah so it's it's good to have the the marker so that you know i've got to go to edinburgh with my hour and this time around we knew we had to do a tour show so we knew we had to have an hour and a half because it was a tour show so you just know that you've got to make that the you you know the first date of the show so you know that we've got to have enough songs by then yeah um so then we just write and we do write a lot, but in terms of probably what other people write, it's not loads. I don't no, think it's not Dolly Parton level. No. Do you write to get, do you write together, or do you write your songs separately and then come together, or collaboration of both? A bit of both. both yeah. yeah. It's often like we'll come up. One of us will come up with the idea, pitch it to the other one, and then maybe one of us will take. We'll sort of like spitball on it a little bit, okay. and then we'll take it away and like do it. Or sometimes we write stuff together. Yeah. It's, there's no sort of hard and fast rule. Really, mm. it's just like yeah. A, totally depends happens. on the song. Well, sometimes one of us will really like the an idea 
and you'll sort of write it up and the other one won't be convinced. So you'll be like, let, let me go away and write, I'll write more. I promise this is going to be great. the alien boyfriend. So oh, yep, yep. that was, that took me a really long time to convince Nicola to <laughs> yeah. enjoy. I remember coming to her and being like, doing a couple lines that could be in it and being like, do you find these funny? The alien <laughs> eats through his foot. Do you find that funny? <laughs> Uh, and then you'd be like, I'm not, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. And so I'd now have... it's like it kills me that it's a song that goes well in the show. Yeah. <laughs> I really hate it's it. Slight on your judgment. Yeah, I'm hoping every night that it's going to be the night where the audience are like, "This is ridiculous. <laughs> a waste of my time." I like, see. I told you. No, but no. So bang, that's not happening. Um, yeah. Your mum's a recurring character as well. What did she make of your uh, professional companionship? I think she likes to know that we're both in the same place at the same time. So she can like kind of keep tabs and it's like, okay, they're fine. Mm. Um, I think it took her a while to like adjust to it. Cause we also, we started doing comedy. We used to live in um, Canada for a little bit and we started doing it out here, out there. So no one at home that we knew, knew that we were doing it. So the first time she saw us, she sort of heard, we sort of said like, oh yeah, we're trying this stuff. But it was like there wasn't anything online or anything. So the first time she saw us was doing like a full show in Edinburgh. And I think she found that really weird to get her head around that there were rooms full of people laughing at her kids doing a thing that <laughs> she had no idea that they were doing. Yeah. So it's she like, loved the sh- that show. She loved yeah. that first show. It'll always be her favourite show. We haven't been able to um, write the show that she'll love more than that show. That, no. The first one is the one. Which is, yeah. But it's, yeah, I think it's, that it's definitely taken her like, a bit of adjusting to like she still like she likes it and she still comes to see stuff but like I think we did when we did live at the Apollo which is like uh, we didn't think we'd get to do it it's like a huge show do you get it here? Does it yes it, here? it is on yeah. television it's a it, it was a big deal and we and it's filmed at the Hammersmith Apollo which is like 3,000 plus seats like the just a huge opportunity um, and we said to her like we're doing uh, we're going to do live at the Apollo and she's like oh that's cool that's nice and we like do you want to come and watch it being filmed? Um, thinking like, this is going to be like the biggest show we ever play in our lives. And she was like, oh, I think I have a piano lesson. Oh, come on. And we never, oh. we don't sort of actively like um, push her to come and see anything. Like the same with any of our friends. We're never like, you should come and see this. But with this one, we were like, I think you might, in any other city, I think you might want to come to this one. And she wasn't like, like she, yeah. she didn't oh, okay. have, she just didn't know what live the no, she was really. Yeah. It, it wasn't a big thing to her. Unless you're a huge comedy fan, mm. it can easily pass you by as one another show that's going yeah, watching your TV. recital or something. Yeah. Like, exactly, no. yeah. And then she came and saw the show and was like, I can't believe I would have never have ever said no yeah, to me. It's, it's not her fault at all. She just no, didn't no, no, realise no. what what it was. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> incredible. Okay. Well, sweet release. How many shows are left? Uh, you're on until... Six. Saturday? Sunday? Yeah, right. Six, well, Sunday. there's no time to waste. Just get on board. <laughs> uh, comedyfestival.com.au. Flo and Joan. It's a gorgeous venue at the Spiegel Tent outside the Art Centre. And um, what a treat to have in Rosie and Nicola Dempsey. Thanks so much. Oh, thank, thank you for having us. Triple R. I've mentioned that I was in Adelaide over the weekend uh, for my sister-in-law's baby shower. One of the things that happens at baby showers is the opening of the presents. I'm not sure if you've seen this. Um, and I find them the most, ter- the, the worst. Mm. I, I, I just think it's horrible having to sit there and, and watch, watch someone. And, and it's not for the benefit of the mother, mother-to-be. I think they dread this. I think this is the worst part of the day for them. I absolutely think it's the benefit of the person giving the present. It's the gift giver, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but my sister-in-law didn't want 
to do that. So and and there weren't games and all the kind of things that can happen at a, a baby shower. It was just it was a beautiful brunch uh, with some mimosas and and that was it. You know what I mean? Not that was it. That was lovely. That was exactly what I would want for a baby shower. Uh, and then at the end, uh, everyone was leaving, and there was uh, my mother-in-law was there, and then. Um, my sister-in-law's wife, her mother was there as well. So both mothers were there uh, and Abby and I, and they're like, okay, now that everyone's gone, let's open the presents. (laughs) Uh, And they both got lots, lots of presents. uh, And I went over with, uh, with my sister-in-law, I was helping her with the presents and she was exhausted as well. Like it's, it's, it's a big day and she's heavily pregnant. um, And she was happy to do it because obviously the mums wanted to do it. But but Abby was exactly the same. Abby's just like, oh yeah, open. She was so excited to see every single present be open. But I, I do feel sorry for the opener, because she has to, after this long day, pretend to enjoy. Oh, I'm sure she did enjoy and appreciate every single present. But, I mean, th- there were 30 different presents that she had to open. Like, Abby gave her 12 different presents, so every little thing had to open. And um, Abby got excited about every single one. But I just, I was just sitting back thinking, oh, God, I just... I, and I, I don't think I opened for my 40th birthday... I got my presents three days later. <laughs> I was certainly never opening them on the day. No, no, no. Uh, and then I went out. So a friend of mine took my presents and then she messaged me. She's like, do you, do you want your presents? I was like, oh, yeah, 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 just uh, just drop them off. Um, but, yeah, no, I couldn't think of anything worse than opening the presents in front of everyone. Um, I do get the giving of the presents, like, for my nieces and nephews when Christmas is happening or, or little birthdays. kids. Because often it's something they can use, like it's a toy. Or, yeah. yeah. I think it's better to do it for uh, their birthday or like I remember Christmas one year and we went over and Christmas was just the best day of these kids' lives. But they were getting so many presents uh, and Abby and I had bought a present for uh, one of my nephews and we passed the present to him and he's opened it looked at it and went, next, <gasps> and then pushed the present to the side. Oh, my God, I've never wanted to slap a kid so much in my life. Excuse me. <laughs> of course I didn't. Um, but it was just they had received so many presents. Were his parents witnessing this? They didn't see it, no. Mm. My mum saw it and she looked at me and she's like, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't, but God. If you was... don't say thank you right? as a kid... You cut off. Yeah, it's not happening again. But that's a learned behaviour, surely. Like, or does it? They were just so- it that day. They were just crazy because oh they got God. so many presents, and I think it was when like they were younger, so we hadn't had many Christmases with children. Like there were so many kids and everything, so we all kind of went all out and brought you know a, a number of presents. So they were receiving heaps. Mm. They, they certainly haven't done it since. Okay. Uh, yeah, but I do recall I was like, oh, well, I'm not spending Ugh. that much money on you next time. Oh, yeah. my God. I was, I was at a baby shower. There were like 30 people and 30 gifts and then every gift got a round of applause. <laughs> oh, no. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, I don't, don't open my gifts. <laughs> Like, it doesn't deserve, it doesn't even deserve to be looked at, let alone a round of applause. I don't want your tepid pity clap. Uh, so, yeah, that's a, that's a night. I'm, that's a nightmare for the giver in that instance because I don't yeah, want right. the attention mm. of a poor gift. But, yeah, that would be that would have been a blood-boiling exercise. Oh, my God. To have a child say next. Oh, my God. It You're not was... entitled for I people know. to give a shit about you. Yeah, it was... It, it... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. I, I remember. What about? I mean, yeah. 
that kid, and I'm sh- they're a loved one and everything, so yes. we're talking the abstract, but soon enough is just going to get mugged <laughs> by the indifference of reality. <laughs> the world doesn't care about you, mate. Yeah, and I hope you're Remember listening. when the day that you thought that you were entitled to so many presents? And every, every Christmas and every birthday would just be present after present. Well, yeah. one day yeah. that will end. It will dry up. <laughs> and you will rue the day you said people, next. There's going to be a day where people forget about your birthday. Oh. And you'll be reflecting on that moment <laughs> when you had so much attention that you dispensed with it like a glib French king. <laughs> Appalling. <laughs> but, but yeah, is, is, what did, did you anyway. schlep a gift over? Oh, of course you did. You twelve. That's he. Oh yeah. So, what was uh, that about? Oh, Abby, Abby was just very excited, and she got many things that were on the registry. And and oh, I there's think a registry. Oh, registry, right? Yeah, and she I never mean, been to a baby shower that formal before. Yeah, yeah. I think it worked out really well because otherwise, I, I guess people just double up on a lot of the things. Plus, there's just so many things that you need for a baby. I'm like, mm. my goodness, I had no idea. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, and and it's the first niece that um, Abby's had, like niece or nephew on, on her side of the family as well. It's her sister, so she's super excited. Yeah. So she did go uh, mm. a little over the top at, of presents. G- at Christmas, Gabriel would have been not even two, mm. but n- no one moved on until he acknowledged the gift. Yes. <laughs> Say next. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's more to come. <laughs> Say next. <laughs> Now, don't even look at the gift. Just unwrap it and kick it. Oh, my God. I remember that um, feeling like opening presents in front of people was the polite thing to do. Yeah, Because yeah. I remember having a like my 14th birthday party, mm. had a party, and then um, everyone sat in a circle and I opened all the presents because I was like, everyone wants – I should thank everyone. And there's a video of it, like a home movie or whatever, and I just – I can't even think about it. I get so embarrassed making all these teenagers watch me open gifts and then going around and hugging each one. Oh, <laughs> I hate. I can see it's burned into my brain. It's like, oh, cool. Here's like a, like a, you know, a Roxy visor and here's a <laughs> choker and like a shell <laughs> necklace or something. Oh my goodness. And going around and hugging them all. So with, in oh. principle, what's wrong with that? Because you, you make yourself the centre of attention even more, I guess. Right. And it's kind of boring. It's kind it of boring, boring to watch people unwrap it like really 30 is. presents. Yes. Um, so it's... Yeah. You need... You really need a comedian or someone giving commentary. <laughs> don't you think? Yes. Like, you can't just have a round of applause and another train. Next. <laughs> <laughs> you need... Who would you have? <laughs> like, a, like a Don Rickles. I know he's dead. I don't know who Don Rickles is. Don Rickles is, you know, a roasting comedian. Oh, right. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm thinking more like a commentator, like get Dennis Committee on there. Oh, yeah, get Dennis <laughs> Committee. Oh, yeah. Oh, another train. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, it's a woolen vest. <laughs> Next. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. 
Maria Tamarkin is a writer of essays, reviews, performance and four books of ideas, including the Melbourne Prize-winning Stella shortlisted Axiomatic. Now, the author, born and raised in Kharkiv, has co-curated the theatrical collaboration When Women Speak of War, Artists Reckon with Wars Declared and Hidden. And to tell us about the event for the Festival of Jewish Arts and Music, the cultural historian and senior lecturer in creative writing at the University of Melbourne joins us now. Maria, welcome back to Triple R. Thanks so much. Hello. Um... Can you tell us, this, this show was conceived before Russia's invasion of Ukraine. If you don't mind, can you explain the origin of the title and its increased urgency for you? Um, absolutely. Um, I started talking to um, For Jam, um, that's the Festival of Jewish Art and Music, and in particular, Lior Albeck Ripka, who is one of the two uh, creative um, directors of For Jam. So we started talking. Uh, you know, sometime last year, the talks, as they say, intensified towards um, the end of last year. And we tried, they, they approached me and they wanted me to be involved in some way in um, uh, putting together uh, Yom HaShoah, that's the Holocaust Remembrance event for, for 2022. Um, and they were interested in me sort of bringing my ideas around sort of commemoration, keeping memory alive, what it is to think about genocidal violence, um, you know, in 2021, 2022. Um, and this, um, the title, When Women Speak of War, it's actually the very start of a quote from Svetlana Alexievich. Uh, Svetlana Alexievich, um, your listeners, probably many of your listeners would would, would know her. She's a Ukrainian-born um she Belarusian. She now lives away from Belarus because, because, uh, till recently, Belarus was um, the you know built as the last remaining dictatorship in Europe. But now it has been pushed off that mantle with Russia emerging well and truly as the kind of the top remaining dictatorship um, in Europe. Um, so she lives um, in um, I think in Berlin now. But be it as it may, she. Um, she writes her books in Russian. She won Nobel Prize for Literature in 2015, uh, the first nonfiction writer in 50 years to win it. So that's significant. Your listeners may be interested in that. Um, and what she does, she writes these incredible testimonial books that take you know decades to put together. She talks to people who um, endured particularly uh, powerful cataclysms, historical cataclysms, um, including Chernobyl, um, explosion Chernobyl of explosion, ex- excuse me, the explosion of Chernobyl nuclear reactor in 1986 in Ukraine, uh, and including the Second World War and the experience of women and children in the Second World War. Uh, and one of the books that has been so, so central um, as we were conceiving this event is the book called The War's Unwomanly Face, that puts together in these kind of timeless monologues, women's memories, visceral, embodied, powerful, unforgettable memories of what it is to actually be a woman in the war in that particular instance in the Second World War in the Soviet um, in the Soviet Union. And the quote goes, you know, when women speak of war, we, and then I'm going to completely bastardize the quote, but it's, you know, we encountered the war as we have never seen it before or as we have never understood it before. It's a, it's a revelation. It's a shock um, to actually foreground women and to listen to them speak about war. And that was kind of one of our anchors for thinking about this event uh, again, months and months before uh, February 24th, when Russia inv- invaded Ukraine. I think I don't need to belabor the point why 
<laughs> that urgency that you referred to is so front and center for us right now. There is a war on in which women are being killed, women are being raped, uh, women are being kidnapped, women are fighting, uh, women are refusing to leave, women are fleeing with their children. Over 5 million, the latest um, um, figures is that over 5 million, uh, primarily of women and children, elderly people, um, and sick people have fled Ukraine right now. So the urgency is kind of pretty self-evident. Mm. Uh, you've written of micro-watching the news. How do you manage your own consumption for your own health? Um, yeah, I, I manage it uh, really poorly. Um, so um, the idea of micro-watching the news um, actually um, came into my life from a very, very dear friend um, who... Uh, whose family is from Syria, who is from Syria, who has had very extensive experience of trying to figure out how to survive uh, when the war rages um, in your homeland and what the kind of, if you are glued to the screen and when you're completely exposed to um, and constantly exposed day and night to the stream of news, what that does to you, what, what that does to your soul, to your body, to your ability to be there for other people, which is really, really important. So he talked to me about like, Number one, you cannot be just plugged in all the time. That's just going to obliterate you. And he, one of the things that I did take from our conversation, I mean, I took everything from our conversation, but then I broke everything, all the, all the kind of newly established rules, is that try to read rather than watch, that there is something, well, we know, the audiovisual, the barrage, the bombardment, if I can use that word, the overstimulation, the way it gets under your retina, under your skin, into your body, the way it's just kind of fills you with the images and the horror. Uh, that's just, uh, it's a, you know, it's a much more brutal way of exposing yourself to the news. So if you can just deal with language and read, you know, off screen or whatever, rather than be in the world of um, sort of audio, audio visual news streams that that is a, a kind of a, a less brutal way of staying as connected as you need to be. Yeah. Uh, in your State of the Writing Nation in 2020, uh, you said, let me be blunt, our attempts to convince the nation that we matter, that we make it better, more united, more self-aware, more civically minded, more productive are doomed. Uh, can I ask, with an event like this, how do you overcome that and that sense of well, why bother? Um, I think I would make a distinction between a nation and a society. We're not addressing the nation. We're not addressing institutions of the nation. We're not addressing the politicians. Uh, we're not trying to sort of orient ourselves to, ourselves to that kind of conversation. We're addressing people. We're addressing communities. We're addressing civic society. That's a very, very different way of um, thinking about what we do. And what we are trying to do, and this is our kind of, now that, you know, we had um, time to think about what it means to be putting together an event like this at the time of war, uh, our commitment to opening up our ideas of commemoration and putting different kinds of histories and different kinds of events and communities in conversation with each other has become really, really essential. So in the event, we are talking about the genocidal uh, violence that at the heart of Australia's you know, formation and Australia's continuation as a nation. So we have Tony Birch talking about the so-called half-caste act and the role of women, of um, Aboriginal women 
in fighting for their families and fighting for their communities um, and in speaking back to the dehumanisation and the kind of the the genocidal institutions of Australian state. Uh, we have a new piece, a new collaboration uh, from Bosnian-Australian writer Janana Vucic uh, and Bosnian-Australian composer uh, Nela Trifkovic and her incredible ensemble, uh, Saraya Luminada. They play Balkan and Sephardic Jewish music. And they're coming together to talk about women and genocide in Bosnia. And we are feeling the absolute need on the Holocaust. And of course, we're talking about the Holocaust uh, um, in all kinds of ways and trying to speak across generations. But we felt a total moral imperative to say in 2022, we need to be speaking about the Holocaust at the same time as we speak about Ukraine, at the same time as we speak about Australia, 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 Australia. We need to be speaking about what it means to be creating work here, what it means to be on stolen land. At the, at the same time as, as we look towards other 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 communities in our country, like, like the Bosnian community, like the Syrian community, like all the other communities who carry this genocidal violence, um, you know, as part of their history and as part of their presence as well. Uh, and we need to be putting all these histories and all these communities in conversation with each other, not in a gross you know, disgusting Scott Morrison type of we are we're in it together kind of way. Not in the not with all the kind of universal slogans around common you know humanity and all of that. No, 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 no. Very careful, very rigorous, uh, very respectful in a way that does not erase differences, does not erase some of those differences that are irreconcilable. But nonetheless. To talk about the Holocaust is to talk about Australia, is to talk about the Ukraine, is to talk about Bosnia and Syria, etc. Mm. That is absolutely the moral imperative that is driving us. Yeah. Um, can you tell us about any impressions you have about the propaganda that you're observing, as especially as an artist and writer who speaks so directly? Oh, my God. You're talking about Russia? Yeah. Oh, my God. People, intelligent people educated people, erudite people, people with memories of the Second World War have been zombified. It is absolutely, absolutely terrifying. And, you know, I, I'm thinking about what is the implication for Australia. And I think one of the things that I wanted to say, particularly to young people of Australia, as an old woman of Australia, I, I, I want to say that one of the things that I realise about the success of propaganda in Russia is not that People are dupes and people are idiots and morons and they can be told anything by authorities and they will just swallow it, right? It's that people have been taught the dark arts of cynicism to such an extent that they will believe time and time again. For instance, and this is the common response to any information that is entering Russia, where, of course, all the all the social media is blocked, all the independent, all of it, independent media is blocked. And there is a law now that if you say, if you call the war, war, right, you are, uh, it needs to be called special military operation, you can go to jail for up to 15 years. So, so this is complete and utter, you know, blockade of any kind of information and media. But nonetheless, using VPNs and in some other ways, people are able to access information. But, you know, there will be millions of people who will believe 
this idea of fake news. It's the worst idea in the world, I think. It is the most criminal idea in the world. After Trump, it should have been dead, but it has been weaponized in the most effective way. So people will believe because they have been trained to be so damn cynical. They will believe that Ukrainians are bombing their own maternity hospitals. Ukrainians are slaughtering their own uh, you know, people and civilian population in order to get something from UK or US or in order to get the world to turn against Russia. How can intelligent people believe that, you know, Ukrainians will be slaughtering their civilian population? And yet that kind of lie is being sold to them again and again, and they buy it. So I want to say to, you know, as, as I've been kind of thinking about it feverishly through all the sleepless nights, it's actually, it's not... It's this cynicism, it's the readiness to think the worst about other human beings. It's the readiness to look for the worst motive, for the most egregious little, you know, what's the, you know, what's behind the scenes, you know, you know, who is benefiting, who is, you know, all the things that university are teaching in media communications as, you know, under the guise of great enlightenment, that's what makes you pro the most prone to propaganda, not naivety, but that level of entrenched and committed cynicism. Well, uh, Maria Tamarkin, we're running out of time, uh, but tell us about the name of the event and where it is and when. Uh, the event is at the National Theatre. It's called When Women Speak of War. It's on the 28th of April. It's got incredible artists, Anita Lester, Rita Sachi, Jackie Toot, Emily Lubitsch. They are some of the incredible, formidable singers um, who are performing on the night. Uh, I'm collaborating with Sarah Kresnerstein. Uh, there will be all sorts of, um, you know, there will be musicians, there will be storytellers, writers, performers, lots of new work, lots of new collaborations. Uh, I'm just looking at the time and speaking very fast. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, Nationaltheatre.org.au is where to go to for tickets and further information. And we've been fortunate to speak with writer and the event's co-curator, Maria Tamarkin. Thank you. Thank you. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. I went and saw Flo and Joan uh, at the comedy festival last night, which was great. Mm. Such a fun night. Um, I love the fact that they're sisters working together and, and they've spoken about their mum within the show. And it made me think of my mum. My mum just always wanted my brothers and I to hang out and to be oh. friends. Like if if I was performing with my brothers around, like and that was my job, oh, my God, mum, that she that would just be the absolute dream for her. She kept pushing it when we were younger. She was like, you know, you should hang out with your brothers. Like, What's the age gap between you Three years between each of between us. Between each. Yeah. yeah. So we, we kind of missed each other. We had split campus. But also, I mean, who hangs out with your siblings at school? And mm. my, No, you, no, you I, there's always too much of an age gap for me. Oh, what's that? What, what's, what's well, four years between my brother and I and then okay. six years between my sister and I. So we were never at school together except primary. Yeah, right. Even if you were, do you think that you would hang out with your siblings at school? No, my brother once saw me at the tram stop hmm. when I was at year eight. And, when I was in year eight and he was in year 12 and he just ignored me yes. um, for the duration of the trip. So that was – but then, like, once his friends got off, we walked home together. Yeah. I mean, it's it's ridiculous because I was always way cooler than him, so I don't know what, who he was <laughs> doing. what his problem yeah. was. <laughs> Big mistake. <laughs> yeah. No, my my mum just continuously was like, you know, have you – did you hang out with your brother today or if we have sporting events or whatever? It's like, no. Like, I have my own friends. They have their friends. We don't hang out. You know, I um, was at school and there was a set of twins that were in, I think they were a couple of years older than me, and they were both in the popular groups. So they all kind of, they, they hung out. And I remember seeing lunchtime one time when the sister came to the group, and there were, say, 10 of them, 
And she went and she individually hugged every single person in the group, including her brother. Mm. And- Sorry, as in hugging her brother was weird? Absolutely. Okay. In year 10, and I was sitting there oh, with oh, two oh. friends who, who both had older brothers. And we saw it. And after it happened, we just looked at each other and we're like, did you just see Sarah hug her brother then? Mm. <laughs> and it was the weirdest, weirdest thing ever. It's like, who would, I, I would not hug my brother in any, in, at any point in time as a child. Yes. Um, let alone at school in front of other people. Look. Things have changed, of course. As soon as we got out of high school, as soon as we're adults, we're actually really good friends. And I think in our 20s, um, we became best mates. Like, we would hang out every single weekend. My brother, my older brother was a DJ, so we would all go and watch him and we'd all just became best mates and, and hung out for oh, a good, good, I'd say within our tw- 20s, for a good 10 years kind of a thing. We'll go to music festivals together um, and mum was so happy. I think mm. partying brought us together. Um, but, yeah, she was thrilled. But it, when I was younger, it just wasn't a thing that I thought was possible. It's like mm. as if I would ever hang out with my, my siblings. Yeah, you see that. I think it's, yeah, I think that's really, I've never had that like, always been close with my siblings but we've mm. never shared friends we've never had like mutual friends where you'd yeah. all hang out in a group although since I think becoming adults I've often welcomed them like if I have a birthday thing I'll say come along and they know not my friends but I don't really know theirs yeah. <laughs> so yeah that's interesting yeah. um but maybe is it a teenage thing I don't know you're close with your sisters were you when you, know. you were younger not so much when I was younger I mean really not close Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, really. Like, the, is it because you're the youngest? Fisticuffs. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. That was the same. Yeah. I, yeah. Was it Angelina Jolie kissed her brother at the... Oh, oh yes. Yeah. yeah. A lot of issues there. Too close. I'm not Absolutely. talking that kind of close. <laughs> <laughs> you did belong in jail. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've got two uncles who live together. Oh, cute. Really? <laughs> <laughs> like they're brothers. Yeah, they're brothers. That's right. What? Oh, what age, if you don't mind me oh, asking? The, you know... Six, like over 40. Yeah, over yeah, 40. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't want to do that. No. <laughs> that's not what we're doing. No, I know, but that's a close brotherly it is, sibling yeah, relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, yeah. yeah. I live with my brother, my older brother. When I first moved out of home, um, we actually lived in a one-bedroom apartment. So um, I, I was right. I, I was on the sofa bed. That, that, that getting was, a bit jolly. And now it is yeah. getting a little <laughs> No, no, no. Um, we lived there for six months until we moved into a bigger place. Um, but, yeah, that was, it's like mm. as soon as I finished high school, like bang, yeah. out of there and... Uh, Jesse's brother, they were on holiday recently and shared a space. And it's you have to check uh, when you're nude. Oh, because you, <laughs> you, you, your sibling is there. Well, there's that other dimension, yeah. the jolly dimension. <laughs> I like how you say you have to check when you're nude. Like, <laughs> it'll Pat you, yourself down. Pat you on a wing. <laughs> yeah. Wait a second. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, my uh, two my sisters lived together mm. for a period, but it's not a long-term solution, you'd hope. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you – do you fall back into childhood behaviours? When you're living with them? Yeah. Yes. Oh, Absolutely. Right. So I moved – yeah, I, I moved in with my brother and we – it was great for the first six months. And then I moved – then we got a bigger place and I was living with my brother and his mate. And that was the worst experience <laughs> of my life. Oh. That was just a couple of blokes – just not cleaning anything, not cooking, and then I was just like, okay, I've had enough. This is not fun anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm leaving. <laughs> was it just the cleaning or was it other stuff? Uh, 
I think it was mainly mainly the cleaning. Yeah. Because I couldn't stand it, so I would do it, and then it was just expected. I think the cleaning is always a big thing, regardless. When yeah, whenever you're in a share house, cooking was another thing as well. Um, just domestic stuff. Yeah. I think I drip dry. Drip dry your your body. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I can't, really have to check naked. The mood. I can't <laughs> be bothered. Can it, drying is such a drag. You actually are talking about your, your body, not dishes. Yeah, just walking around. Well, it, it just takes a while to dry after a shower, and you don't want your sister. You know around. why it takes so long? Because <laughs> you're not using a towel. <laughs> I am using a towel. I'm not turning on the aircon and standing in front of it. <laughs> Too many like visuals. This Nicholas, Nicholas Cage and Connie just be <laughs> blowing back. Oh. Uh, uh, but do you reckon you'll you would ever would things have had to have collapsed for you to return to there, or do you think? You know, you go on, do you still family holiday or anything like that? No, I'll, I do that with Abby's family, but no, I don't really do that with my family. Mm. Yeah, I don't want to, I'm, I'm against it. Against? <laughs> I, I, look. Living you, with siblings? No, well, sometimes you see, you, it's very sad to see siblings fall out. Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. Especially as adults, I think it's like when you're younger, you well, get Because you're kind it. of forced to, when you're younger, forced to come back together. Because yes. like, oh, okay, well, we're a family. But when it happens as adults, it's only up to... To you. Yeah. But, you know, Catherine Devaney made the good point when we had her on a couple of weeks ago saying just because you're on paper, you know, you're blood related or your mm. family or whatever doesn't mean you have to pursue that relationship. If you have nothing in common and you don't get along, like, mm. well, you can have a really clo- close friends and that will become. Yeah. You know, I thought that was an interesting interpretation yeah, of, of family. When yeah. you see people like persist with these like sibling mm. relationships when yeah. there's, there's no point. And yeah. your family's listening right now. And my family. <laughs> Mom's cutting his I'm cutting you off. I'm going to drip dry. <laughs> <That's content. laughs> Woo! Ah, that's right. Triple R. a Royal Comedy National Finalist who has written for the BBC's News Jack and appeared alongside Geraldine Hickey in Season 2 of Australian comedy Metrosexual. Bronwyn's debut stand-up show, Any Goss, is on now for a few more nights at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. To tell us about it, this week's Friday, Friday Bugger uh, joins us now. Hello, Bronwyn. Hello. Um, Bronwyn looked very unnerved by that opening theme and I just want to let you know that I hate it. Oh, okay. I was like, you said my name and I was like, do I say something? And then music started and I was like, don't say anything. Yeah, yeah. Our job is just to make you as nervous and on edge as possible. You've done it. Yeah. Well done, everyone. (laughs) That concludes the segment. Um, And how's your, obviously the festival's full on. Have you checked your emails? Yeah, I did. (laughs) I am at... 9,437 unread emails. Who are these people, Mon? Uh, well, who we've are got they? one right here, so we're mm. going to interrogate you okay, now. Okay, do it. It stopped being a bubble and it's like quite a long line, just a red line <laughs> yeah. with too many numbers in it. Yeah. The emails I can kind of get because you get a lot mm-hmm. of spam, but you yeah. also have unread messages. 67. Okay, what are those? I don't I, – honestly, what? I don't know. Exactly, because you haven't opened them. <laughs> That's <laughs> Insane. Are they like, you know, your order is here? Sometimes. Oh, there's one here that's just one from me to me that says parking ticket. Oh, my oh. God. You text yourself. Are they reminded? Yeah, I've got to pay a parking fine. <laughs> do you have Soon, how do you, actually. Is your name or do you call yourself self or? No, I, it's, it's just my phone just number. Just your number. Yeah. yeah. Oh. It's so a like... mess in here, actually. <laughs> it, yes. My sister-in-law. <laughs> 
I should give up. But sometimes <laughs> they're actually so. Is it, what is it? Wouldn't it be true that sometimes the messages are so important you leave them unread so you don't forget about it? Yes, oh. and then they get buried. Yeah. <laughs> My sister does that. She won't respond, and she go and she'll leave them all to the end of the week and respond all at once. She thinks that's oh. better. <laughs> but that, she ends up just not responding. Okay, yeah, that's <laughs> that's what I do. Just oh. the second half. There's no intention <laughs> at the beginning. Um, she says she has good ideas, but mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't happen. Do you share a favourite artist with the Prime Minister? Oh. Do you? I mean, do, do you know Scott Morrison? Uh, yes, I did know. Because I, I have one Tina Arena joke and then that means that forever. <laughs> you have to hear about. Any any fact anyone's got about Tina Arena, yeah. they're sh- straight What's your favourite Tina Arena fact? Um, one woman said that she went to an opening of a dress shop yeah. that was opened by Tina Arena's sister. <laughs> Tina Arena's sister. Yeah, and she was very bitter about Tina's success. And that was my favourite story of her. That's a good story. It's not even about Tina. (laughs) What's her sister's name? Who cares? She's bitter. (laughs) Gina. I'm just, I'm curious. Sorrento Moon is about Sorrento in Victoria. Yeah, I only learned that this year. Oh, right. So I'm not, I had no idea that Sorrento existed. Yeah. I'm from Queensland. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah, that makes sense. And what about um, Cadell Evans when she, she was in Paris when Cadell Evans won the... uh, Tour de France, she? yeah, she, she hot tailed didn't she? Yeah, uninvited. Yeah, <gasps> yeah, oh, uninvited. I didn't wow. know that. Well, yeah, it was her idea. Isn't she like a French national treasure? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not. I think it's terrific that she did it. Yeah, Daniel, I think this is offensive to <laughs> Tina, who is listening, <laughs> and I'm glad that we've Bromwin has joined I'm us for invited. our weekly Tina segment. <laughs> Imagine the person that's like Tina, you're not invited. Could you please <laughs> pipe down? Uh, yeah, excuse me. <laughs> Uh, uh, Ipswich, uh, mm-hmm. when when did you leave? When did I leave? Um, I got here the end of 2019, so just in time. What a time. time. Mm-hmm. What? It was great. <laughs> Why did you do that? What? Oh, oh, yeah. I knew oh, the 2019, was the, the bat hadn't been chomped yet. No, no, no. no, no. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. It wasn't even a murmur of bats when I moved down. I was very excited. Yeah. I actually moved down with um, another uh, comedian, Grace Jarvis, who's also doing her solo show. Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah, we just kind of crawled into a hole and cried. And <laughs> yeah. Oh, great. Now, now emerged um, with our debut solos and it's going great. Yeah. Well, how is it going? I mean, uh, COVID's going around. Yeah, uh, COVID's around. I got it, um, which was just the During best. the festival. During the festival, yeah. yeah. So cancelled a week of shows. And how many then... shows had you done already? When I you think got... I'd done – so I'd done a week. Yeah. Then the second week, lost it. And then the third week – so tired. Mm. Yeah. And right. also just felt like they shouldn't have let me out. But I was there. <laughs> Already lost a week of money. So. Yeah, that's Yeah, right. that's a thing. So is it been a bit of a, a – what would the phrase – I mean, it's quite an auspicious opening debut, isn't it, to do the comedy festival in a pandemic, get COVID. I mean, yeah. you, d- you deserve – how many new shows are there? Grace, you... Uh, uh, a bunch. So, uh, Irvi Majumda has, yeah. um, I think, Emma Holland's debut show. There's a... There's heaps. There's heaps. There's heaps. There's heaps. Obviously, and, you've got mm-hmm. Best Newcomer in the bag. And I yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, for that. <laughs> that's why I'm here. That's We're announcing it today. <laughs> oh, <wonderful. laughs> Congratulations. What an exclusive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Tito Reno's here, actually. Yeah. <laughs> what invited. <laughs> You're in the 2018 National Raw final. Mm-hmm. How was, I made the state final, so you've gone one better than me. Oh. How about you, Daniel? Did you make any of those finals? No, I didn't. No, no, I didn't it's great when comedy is a competition. It, like, absolutely. <laughs> how was that though? Like performing at the comedy festival uh, in front of so many people. Was that 
awesome. Is that the biggest crowd that you've performed at for the national final? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's such a strange thing to do your first five minutes. Yeah. Have it filmed and put on television. Cruel, in my opinion. But, um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, and then do it in front of, what, 1,500 people. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun, but just so nervous all day. Yeah. yeah. Mm. How many but gigs had experience. you done before that gig? Mm. Like I would say, like, yeah, maybe 10. Or yeah, so. right. Yeah. Uh, what should we know about any goss, do you reckon? Any goss? Um, look, it's mostly just every poor decision I've made. So I think you kind of will just leave the show feeling better about yourself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's oh, good. Confidence booster mm. for Is us. any goss something you say when you're catching up with someone? Like, hey, any yes. goss? Yeah. Oh, constantly. <laughs> tell me something about someone else. <laughs> I don't care if I know them, I have any connection. Just want to know the goss. Just want to know the goss. Yeah. Have you got any goss? Uh, only, or nothing for Ronnie. Oh, okay. Well, I'll hang around. <laughs> I've been roasted lately for saying dead set. Have you? Oh, yeah. I love dead set. Oh, yeah, well, I, I don't even know that I said it that much. You do. Now that you've mentioned oh, it, you terrific. do. No, 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 <laughs> you say that a lot too. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> All these catchphrases. <laughs> uh, and, and what about the vernacular in, in Ipswich? Is it, what's the life like there? The, the life like. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's a fair question, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fine. It's mm. just Ipswich. Yeah. You know, I, it is like that thing you come down here, everyone's like, oh, Pauline Hansen. Mm. <laughs> right. Sure. Mm. But obviously but, she's been usurped. Yes. Uh, Ash Barty, mm. that's my go-to now. Yeah. That's Ipswich. Um, yeah, that's a good one. But yeah, there is, um, God, this is going way back. But um, in terms of vernacular, we used to have this thing, I'm cringing already before I say it. Mm. You used to like call someone's name mm. and when they turned around, Burl. Was that, that was the whole thing? Nothing. You just have to call someone's name and make them turn around for nothing and then you yell Burl at them. What does Burl mean? Don't know. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that was just an Ipswich thing? <laughs> that was just an Ipswich thing. No one else has ever heard of it. Right. And then, then you would get to the point where you would never turn around if you heard your name. Oh, no. Oh. And then so they would, people would just call it, call it, call it, and then finally you spin around in fury. Burl. Oh. And then that was the whole game. I don't know how it happened, who came up with it. That was my... Does it still happen or was no, it like... No, I think it's okay. dead now. Yeah. But yeah. It's a shame. As it should you be. You want to bring it back? Yeah. Or? Dangerous. Oh, what please don't. Emergency? Yeah. You're about to walk into a pothole. Eh? You're like, you, yeah, don't you dare bell me. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not turning around. Don't bring it down here yeah. with you. Down <laughs> a bell. Uh, and is there any... What else in the show has like struck a chord that you've never sort of envisaged? Um, I do a little bit of a deep dive on Home and Away. That's oh um, right. Were you a yeah. Home and Away household? No, not a Home and Away household. Um, but it's my aunt was, uh-huh. and I'd kind of picked it up from there. It's like it's really the dark side of Home and Away, and it uh-huh. is too early to get into it. Right. <laughs> but that bit goes for about eight minutes. Yeah. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. So, do you feel now that Names is gone, do, do Home and Away watchers feel a sense of like conquering triumph? Home and Away started later, though, didn't it? Oh, right. Oh, did it? I mean, it did. I, I don't know. I wouldn't know. It's like <laughs> I watched it. <laughs> I think it did. It did. Yeah. It's, oh, right. there you go. So, I've got, you know, a bit of catching up to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but nonetheless, your rivals They feel gone. like, yeah, they've conquered it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah congratulations. <laughs> um, so, now. Summer sh- Bay will never die. <laughs> um, tell us where to see you. 
Uh, you can catch me at the Chinese Museum at 7.50. Yeah. Um, three shows left. Mm-hmm. Um, think tonight's selling pretty quick, so get in and then you will definitely get a ticket Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Love have, to see you there. Have you had a good time this morning? Like, were we gentle or was it, were you oh, like a bit discombobulated? A lovely time. Yeah. Okay, great. Like just hanging out with friends. Oh, gee, that's so sweet. <laughs> Uh, is that set. That's true. Oh, that's it. <laughs> you beat me to it. Full on. Okay. Well, make sure you catch Bronwyn Cuss in any goss. It's at the Chinese Museum Jade Room. And uh, when you leave to uh, off the stage, are you expecting... Sort of... Yeah. Uh, you, yeah. yeah. Bronwyn's going to get filled. <laughs> you just watch. Absolutely. Yeah, I cannot I'm wait so. for that. I cannot wait. Yeah. All right. Good on you. Thanks very much. Triple... I went out for dinner last night and then went straight to a show. So, you know, I timed it so we had kind of just enough time. wasn't rushing. Okay, we were rushing a little bit. But as we were walking down Swanson Street, it was right in front of the Melbourne Town Hall, lots of people. Uh, And as we were in a rush to get to the tram, I saw someone that I knew, not a close friend, but a friend. Like, we have each other's phone numbers, but we're not... We haven't called each other in a long time. Yes. But we looked, we were walking and we were both in a rush. It looked like she was going to a show as well. Um, And we've locked eyes and then gone to look away at the exact same Uh. time. But we'd already locked eyes. And then we walked past each other. And then both at the same time have stopped and turned around. And she goes, Bobby. I go, Steph, and then we smiled and just nodded our heads and then just went our separate ways. Oh, that's good. It was it was really good because it was like, oh, I, I didn't have time to chat, and it didn't look like she did either. But then we both kind of went, we can't ignore that. We just looked at each other in the mm. eye and then try to ignore each other. Mm. So it actually turned out okay, um, and it reminded me of other times that I have done this the probably a couple of weeks ago we we just finished a show and then I had to go to another gig and the other gig was filming a Q&A for three hours so I've come from talking for three hours here and then filming for three hours and so I just wanted to go home and not talk to anyone and as I was leaving the building of this organization there was a table full of former co-workers that I saw and I tell you it was the last thing that I wanted to, and I get along with these guys. Mm-hmm. They're great. Um, really get along with them. Have hung out with them outside of work, um, but I just, I just didn't, I didn't want to engage. Interesting. So, but I was going to walk past downstairs, and I, I don't know. You've tried to pretend that you can't see someone. I'm very bad at it. <laughs> Horrible. I, that's why I'm an extra, and I'm right in the back of the scene because I cannot act to save my life. But I tried. Because I was tired and I couldn't be bothered. So I did the walk down the stairs and then one of them called out, Bobby! Right. And then and you went, I mean, as oh! if, I know, as if that acting wasn't bad enough. Then I did the whole, oh, oh, hello. You pulled out your best there. prisoner extra. And then, because there was probably about a dozen of them there, ten or a dozen, and they've uh, one of them gone, you just tried to ignore oh. us, didn't you? I was like, no, no. And, and then I walked up the stairs and then held a conversation. I think the thing as well, um, so I spoke to them for the next 10 minutes um, and it was great to see them. But I think also um, with the, when I was working there, I, I was always, you know, very talkative and this and that. So I was expected to hold the conversation and to uh. be that when 
so anyway, I went up there and, and, and spoke for a little bit and then I had to go because my parking was about to run out. Great. So it was it was sure you don't have to lie to us. <laughs> but sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, no, when it comes to um I, I, I don't know, it, there's something about just walking. Like you can just walk anywhere and just be normal. But as soon as you see someone you know, mm. you can't walk. You can't like look. The, uh, Where do you look? Mm. The, the look. So you got the look. The, sometimes then there's the clock. Yes. And and then then you walk past each other, and then it's the recognition. Mm. It's like oh, the clock looks kind of like a blank. Not like a blanking, but almost as bad as a blank. Mm. Because it's like I've clocked you. But I haven't done anything. But I haven't done anything. And then the record, but once you pass the recognition, it's too late. The distance yeah. is a factor. Because you as can't well. wink or nod or not that people wink anymore. Yeah, you wink. <laughs> stick out your tongue. I'm learning to be here. Uh, yeah. So that's, uh, that's what I always. I don't like that if your brain is slow because you're not expecting to see. Yes. So you're going through the Rolodex of your mind if yeah. your kids know what a Rolodex is. <laughs> yeah, look it up. <laughs> Um, uh, anyway, yeah, and then you're seen as rude. I mean, but I walked past someone who obviously didn't want to talk to me. I know when it, it was like they saw me, and I think they they, they turned immediately into a <laughs> bottle shop. I'm like, a you don't drink, beats ten a.m. <laughs> Give me whatever you got. <laughs> this guy's winking at me. Bring it a Cobra. Hold your Rolodex. <laughs> Uh, it's the distance that's hard though, right? Because if you see someone at the other end of the street and then you're just slowly walking towards each other, it's like, oh, because you don't want to acknowledge them too early. Mm. That was the nightmare like of that, high school. Yeah. I found, aren't there long, long, long corridors in yeah. high schools? But you, oh, yeah. but you know so many people at high school, so surely you Yeah, just but if it's if there's a class on and there's two people on oh. a, in an empty corridor. Like both going to the toilet or something. Oh, <laughs> Flashbacks. God, what a nightmare that was. And then you got to work out when to raise your head to nod. Yeah, like I'm really looking at this linoleum floor. <laughs> no. Only so long I can look at this. You know what I did uh, years ago when I was in America? I thought I saw someone I knew and I was so excited. I was oh. in New York at the time mm. and I was so excited. I did stop and go, hey. Oh, wow. You know who it was? Uh, um, Matt Dillon? Oh, yeah, my God, from, um, from Entourage. No. There's something about Mary. Who was yeah, that's on. who I was thinking yeah. of. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And he, because I literally stopped. It was so busy, but I was just like, oh, my God, I've seen someone that I know. Oh. And I've just gone, hey. And he stopped and he looked at me and then he just kind of pulled his sunnies down and he just went, hey. And I went, oh. and then I realised who it was and then he kept walking. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but he would be used to that because yeah. he's a famous person. Yeah, oh, totally. And he was lovely. He, he didn't ignore me. Lucky he said hey. He did. But did not want to stop. No, he pulled his sunnies down to say, do I know you? No. But fair. Hey. And then just kept walking. But that, the sunny removal made me realise who it was. And he then met he just one saw of the like... Dylan brothers. Because I was thinking of Kevin Dylan. So he's related, the guy oh, in Entourage. Oh, doesn't just look like him. Okay. Yeah, it, was, it, was a... it was like the, you saw the Billy Baldwin. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if Kevin Dylan is... Oh, <laughs> It's really bottom of the barrel. Matt Dillon is definitely more famous. Yeah, I would, I would think so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so but you didn't feel embarrassed by that? No, I felt excited. <laughs> <laughs> to me, Chased after. To me, Kevin Dillon's brother. Hey, I thought someone else, but now I... Let's have Kevin! A Kevin! I love you! <laughs> oh, it's 
it's it's hard because I have said before I am very very reluctant to say hi to people that I know if I don't, if I don't know them super well because I mm. feel like um they you know I'd be they would not remember me and then it'll be embarrassing oh, yes. or they don't want to talk to me and so I'm you know really bad at that but um was bad at it anyway and then I think it was I was scarred like I reckon like five or six years ago I was at Golden Plains and I it, you know early on in the festival like first day um and saw someone I had met many times over the last kind of year through mutual friends and he was a musician like not a big famous musician but I think he might have been performing there anyway I went up and just went straight for him was like oh hey um let's call him Daniel yeah <laughs> Bert <laughs> yeah. um and he kind of just like looked at me and I went, went in straight away for like I think a hug or – He went in. I did. You did. Just because I was, was like being friendly mm. and I wasn't drunk or anything. I need to em- emphasise that. <laughs> and he just was – and he was talking to someone at the time. And I was like, oh, hey. And, and I was like, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's mum we've met through, blah, blah, blah. And he just was so rude oh. and kind of like gave me nothing, was like, oh, okay. And I think he thought – that I was a fan, oh. which is awful because I'm not. <laughs> like anyone, you know, and then you I... really turned. And I, re- <laughs> <laughs> I was until then. Yeah. But I put myself out there and yeah. he made me feel like such an idiot and I just have been gone back into my shell ever since. Ever since. No. Yeah, oh. I can't do it. I don't... So I, that's that's why I'll like interview someone and then see them a the few hours later and can't even say hello. Can't even Too scared that. that I'll get treated like a fool. Because you're not a hugger. I mean, no one's a hugger these days. You're not allowed to be yeah, a hugger. Yeah, that's it. It's, yeah, you're not allowed. No, I'm a hugger with, you are? with people who earn it. Earn it. <laughs> no, earn it. no, I'm Charming. not. I'm not. I'm not with just like anyone. Yeah. So you stand. A, I hug my you friends. stand opposite Mon at five paces. She holds up like a card, like on Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> And it's earn hug or on the flip side, no hug. I think it's no fine hug. to be discretionary with who you, who you get to throw your arms around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, go for me, that's fine. But after that, that encounter in like 2015, I'm not going to be initiating it. Because We're going to drag you back. Yeah, drag yeah, you back into the get you friendly back into pool. It. Oh, it's just, yeah. I went in for a hug at the baby shower, got the step back. Oh! <laughs> wow. I tell you, I'm not hugging anyone. Oh. Was it a COVID? It was a step COVID back? thing. Yes, it was a COVID step back. Oh, mm. we had your arms akim- <laughs> like akim- was spread no, out. But I was leaning, so my head, my neck was out. It was like, and then I just, <laughs> like, I, ne- I nearly <laughs> fell over. No one there to catch me. For Christ's sake, catch me! And then they disappeared in a cloud of twin twenties. <laughs> Smashed my face on the ground. Screw you. Triple R. Renee Maxwell is a beloved Triple R volunteer broadcaster and owner of Record Paradise in Brunswick, which sells new and recycled vinyl at 159 Sydney Road. It's also a hub for Record Store Day, which takes place tomorrow with events all around town. And to tell us about it, the passionate community music and culture connoisseur joins us now. Renee, welcome to Breakfasters. Thanks for having me. It's great to be in the studio. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, you've popped up uh, a lot lately. You would, you've been doing great vinyls. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which I, is my favourite. It's so clever, by the way. And, uh, of course, you're on air on Easter Monday as well. Um, one thing that you, you said on uh, Easter Monday was that if you're listening right now, you're involved in community and local music. Can you flesh that out, uh, idea out as it pertains to Record Store Day? Well, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I guess... Um, 
is community. The the music that Triple R plays, the records that we connect with and the ones that we buy and choose to include in our collection. A lot of that is connected to seeing bands live, which has been quite challenging over the mm. last couple of years. Um, that comes through Triple R, through sponsoring Triple R. Like we hear about gigs, we hear about not just through the many broadcasters who have their own niches and are sort of passionate about certain things, but through just through hearing the sponsorship, it's an interconnected sort of web. And mm. I think, you know, you don't tune into Triple R if you don't get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and therefore, what, what, does, uh, what is it about Record Store Day that brings that spirit out as well? Well, I think, you know, we have a community of record collectors and, you know, I must say not all of them are Triple R listeners. Mm. They are all passionate about music and all knowledgeable about music and this pool of music. You know, I think I hear people say things are undiscovered and a lot of Record Store Day is about, you know, attempting to find these and hash them out and put them on, on <laughs> records and flog them for the day. But I think a lot of great music is discovered and it's because people are so passionate about it and they find great things mm. and they turn you on to great things. So I think that with record stores and people that engage with vinyl and vinyl culture, they're connoisseurs of music. They're interested. They're passionate. They take time to dig. They seek things rather than be told. Mm. And they are riding that wave of what's new, what's coming out. So putting a room of them together, allowing them to see and meet each other, which is one of the things that I love about Record Store Day, you know, we get a heap of customers in at once instead of, you know, that trickle of, you know, the guy that comes in and spends like two hours <laughs> climbing the wall looking for that one record that, you know, I've probably mispriced. <laughs> or, you know, people chasing the white whale or, you know, what's been happening since school's been back. I get, get a lot of teenagers coming in after school. Wow. Like little, little, you know. Yeah, they're they, little. They're little, they Damn cute. <laughs> and they're interested in music and there'll normally be one or two in the pack that obviously know what they're doing and, mm. you know, they're digging, they're looking, they're seeing if that latest release that they knew was coming out, they want to look at it and hold it. You can't always afford to buy it because it's an expensive hobby to have mm. um, and especially – but they're all turned on to it. So they're watching mm. and everyone can go home and access this music. So – yeah, I don't know. It's it's pretty special and pretty amazing. And I think, you know, they're nerds as well. So putting people that engage with music and maybe don't engage with people in the same way that we all do, um, it's a fun thing to do. People see each other and then when they're walking down the street or they're at a gig, they're like, yeah, you're mm. like me. I don't one, know. One of us. Yeah. yeah. Mm. What What's the ambition for uh, the day tomorrow? Look, the day is... And it has been for 15 years now. It is a celebration that, you know, stores like ours are still standing, that the amazing record stores in Melbourne, you know, ones that we've gone to growing up. I remember going to Greville Street Records many times, Licorice Pie, which has now moved, Poison City, who support as a label so many of the bands that I love, Round and Round, just around the corner. Um, so, you know, it's about the fact that we've survived and I think it's probably more poignant this year because 
we've survived COVID. Yeah. I'm going to get emotional because yeah. it's been a really tough slog. And um, while it's been exciting because people have been getting out their record players, they've had time to do that and maybe finding other ways of entertaining and there's no better way than putting mm. a few records on and sharing that at home with family and, you know, that nostalgia trip is amazing. Getting a new record delivered if you're not going to a record store. But, um, yeah, it's been really challenging being closed yeah. and well, I thrive off, you know, I love records but I love seeing people and customers and engaging with them and talking to them about music and feeding off that and having that shut down for such a long time has been really challenging. Necessary and supported 100% but, you know, I think everyone has to acknowledge that not being in a room together doing radio, you know, things not being at gigs together, bands not being able to practice and rehearse and mm. people not being able to engage with live music, kids not being able to go to school and run around the playground and, and chat and go out after school and have adventures down Sydney Road. Mm. Like this really has had an impact and we're, you know, we've got to acknowledge that we've lost a little bit of time during that and we've got some catching up and... You know, and shifts and, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think this year it's about getting back to the shop, seeing customers. It's not so much about a big party for us as it has been in the past and it's having live music. It's more, yeah, we want all our customers to come in and buy some records. Is it your first record store day in the new location? Sort of. Like um, it was cancelled the last two years yeah. but they had this weird thing, Record Store Day drops, where they were trying to sort of compensate because the companies had already prepared all the Record Store Day releases and they wanted to find ways to connect that. So we got one in and it was just Beck and I. Paul was out the back cutting hair all day because <laughs> <laughs> he was trying to catch up on clients and stuff. But – and – Beck and I were just there. We didn't know how it was going to go. We knew we'd ordered and, you know, had to pay for um, a lot of Record Store Day releases. Hardly any of them came anyway. But, you know, so we were invested and it was a great day. Just so many people just crawled out. Mm. Everyone had their masks on and at that stage was sanitising about five times. You know, people didn't linger but they all come in and bought records. So, look, that happened. Mm. It Definitely was a different vibe and I think tomorrow is going to be quite exciting because we're just a little bit, although I'm going to be wearing my mask maybe. Yeah, (laughs) but people will be out and about and, uh, you know, are entitled to and also excited to do it and the passion with which you speak about it is so relatable. You know, I think, you know, you talk about doing radio in person but going into a store and talking to someone like you who's so passionate about music is you cannot get that on a no matter how good the blog is or the website or the review or anything like that 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 interaction it's much harder to um, replicate yeah. so I think people are really thirsty for it yeah is there anything around town that you'd recommend or you you might not be able to get to yourself but look like that's on? look I've heard there's you know they're encouraging I think the city of Yarra is sort of encouraging people to do a bit of a crawl mm-hmm. around the records amazing record stores around Collingwood um I would just say to everyone everywhere around the world, go to your record store, go and buy a record. Please don't line up for Taylor Swift, <laughs> even though it's amazing that she's the ambassador this year. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's really, it's not what it's 
about. She'll be fine as well she, without she, you doing She's going to be fine and we're <laughs> going to be fine. Come in, buy some Australian local releases. Have a look at what's there. Look at things that you don't get on your algorithm that you can actually dig and see the covers and get turned on to new bands that you may not have known existed or you've heard played on Triple R and you go, wow, they've got a record. Mm. And bands that they produce 250 records Mm. and we've got them in our shop, local bands that you love and it's really exciting that to think I've heard this when they first released it They've got a record now, it's two years later. You know, a lot of them haven't been able to get out there and play the records. They've been delayed or they've moved on and they're making new records. So, yeah, I think if everyone can go to their record store anywhere around the world, particularly Melbourne, this amazing city, Mm. um, and you know what those stores are, go to a couple if you want to. And buy some records. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's performances, which we hear about all the time. In different stores. In different stores. So... Going on a bit of a vinyl crawl sounds like a pleasant Saturday way to spend a Saturday. It's great and everyone will be vibed and happy and wearing their tote bags. Bring mm. a tote bag to save on uh, recycling. Ah, that's <laughs> a good point. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's so great to have you in. Uh, well, is there anywhere you would di- want to direct people? Well, yeah, we're open from nine tomorrow for Record Store Day. Um, we're not having any live bands or anything, but we'll have a great vibe, mm-hmm. you know. Instead of just slapping a record on, I'll probably might even, you know, DJ a bit. Beautiful. <laughs> cool. A bit of an effort. Um, yeah, and we'll be open till five o'clock. So please come support us, see us on Sydney Road, check out a couple of other record stores as well. All right, record store day taking place Saturday, 23rd of April. Uh, Go to your record stores all around town. And uh, Renee Maxwell, owner of Record Paradise in Brunswick, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Triple R. Thanks for listening to a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters, which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or the Triple R website.